Broadcasting to New York City, Los Angeles, Chicago, Sydney, London, and around the world, this is Trumpet Radio Live. Thanks for joining us here on Trumpet Radio Live on 101.3 KPCG and online at kpcg.fm. We have a live link at trumpet.com as well coming up on this Tuesday edition. Uh, look at some uh, very interesting headlines that are out there. Also, the trumpet.com and the Trumpet Daily Radio Show. We'll see what uh, what's going on with those programs and websites. And then uh, taking a look at a really interesting book today, History and Prophecy of the Middle East. It's in the news, and uh, it's in your Bible, too. We'll talk about that and more coming up on this edition of Trumpet Radio Live. Trumpet Radio Live. Thanks for joining us here on Trumpet Radio Live, uh, 101.3 KPCG. We're online, too, at kpcg.fm. If you'd like to follow us on Twitter, you can do that at kpcg.fm. And uh, any emails you'd like to send, send those along to comments at kpcg.fm. We appreciate those. Uh, get some nice ones in, and we enjoy reading them. Got a couple of comments, actually, lately from, I think it's the same person. I don't know. And uh, Either they have, like, a weird font that I can't figure out, or... They don't send anything, but I I can't see the. Me- you ever have that where you get an email and you're like, "Where's the text?" Right, and something's getting messed up there. It's written in like hieroglyphs or Chinese symbols or something. I've I've had issues like that where I guess my computer can't pick up the even even pick up the format of the text, and so you just get all these random dashes and slashes all over your screen. Yeah, so I don't know if if uh, this particular person listener is sending positive or negative messages. <laughs> I mean, I can't read them. Uh, maybe I need the code breaker of some kind. I don't know. I'm Dwight Falk, Grant Turgeon here today as well. Uh, we were talking before we came on the air a little bit about uh, uh, sports players and their celebrations after they do things uh, that they're excited about. And uh, and you know, if you ever watch football, uh, sometimes these guys score touchdowns and then they they like backflip into the end zone and so forth. And uh, we we both agreed that. You, why would you ever do that? Because you're hurting your body. You see them like land on their backs, and and I was just thinking about like regular life. You know, if you you did well on something, you taught a class and it went well, you need you wouldn't just backflip and land on your back in the class. Exactly. <laughs> you know what? No other walk of life is that your celeb is that your a celebratory uh, go to move. Oh, that's so true. I mean, I just feel like so many of these athletes are just so reckless. They they are in peak physical condition, but you just you you wear on yourself if you take all these reckless hits or you just do it to yourself if you make hard contact with the ground like that even even like guys in basketball who every time they make a layup they go crashing into the back of the goal or they'll like trample the cameramen who are under the basket just make the layup and turn around and run back up the court don't go flying out of bounds every single time you're probably just going to end up getting hurt at some point yeah that if you do sometimes you talk to people that are older lived a little longer and uh They'll say, you know, I, when I was younger, I shouldn't have <laughs> done this or that, you know, because it, it does take a toll later in life. So it is interesting, especially because there's such there's such a they do so much studying now into like what physical difficulties can can uh, lead to, whether it be brain trauma or other injuries. There is a story today, at a, uh, not maybe all that important, but sort of maybe a good warning for people that some people are like daredevils. You know, they like to climb up these these um, 
oh, skyscrapers sometimes. They take pictures of themselves, and that's kind of their claim to fame. And one of them fell off a building and died. No way. Yeah, some guy in, I think, China. Oh, that's terrible. Yeah, there are th- there are things like that. Uh, skydiving is always a scary concept because what if the parachute doesn't deploy or bungee jumping if, you're, if your rope snaps? Yeah. A lot of scary things like that that maybe they're really thrilling, but at the same time, do we value our lives enough to maybe just do something else and, and stay alive for sure? It was a sad story about that fella. I think he was over in China, and he was uh, apparently a young guy, like 26, I think, and he was... I guess they say he was going to propose to his girlfriend the next day or something like that. And he, he went up on top of the skyscraper and take a picture of himself and some video. And he would climb without any sort of safety harnesses. And I'm just even looking at the pictures are horrifying, which is kind of why I think they're somewhat popular or intriguing. And to my understanding, this was a contest he was doing where you went up to the top of this very tall building. I think it was the tallest building in one of the cities there. And you do pull-ups. And and whoever did it would get fifteen thousand dollars or something. So he went to do it, and he lost his grip, and that was it. And died. Oh, no way. Yeah, that's just. There've been like a lot of even just movies lately with that have all these scenes where they're high above the ground and it's really precarious, and I just can't even hardly watch it. It's just it's just terrifying to experience it indirectly like that. I can't imagine the the mindset you would have to have to be that extreme and that daring to do something like that. That natural fear of things is a safety mechanism that that God put into us. You know, you don't want to be you don't want to be paranoid about things, but and it could go too far, I suppose. But there is that healthy like ah, <laughs> I don't want to try that because I could I could harm myself. But yeah, there are some people that I don't know if they just overcome it in, in the sense that they just kind of do enough things to where they're not afraid anymore, or if um, they just don't have that fear. I'm not sure which one it is. It's sort of like the rare cases where people can't feel pain mm. that sounds like it'd be a good thing but that's your body's warning like you should stop doing what you're doing and if you don't feel pain you don't know when you broke your leg or your arm and i guess unless it was really severe um and uh, same sort of thing yeah senses like that are definitely beneficial and they just show how miraculous the human body is that we have those types of instincts or impulses because it is about self-preservation if we didn't have any sort of fear holding us back or any sort of pain that would restrict us from maybe trying certain things we would all probably be dead pretty quickly yeah, yeah. i mean th- i i just get like i curl up in the fetal position and start gripping my chair really tightly when i see those those like high up stunts or even even if i see like a graphic injury in a game in a sports in a sporting contest it's just horrible to even experience secondhand and that that probably makes me less likely to do whatever those people were doing yeah i'm a scaredy cat too i uh (laughs) we actually we were uh, recently we were out in uh uh, washington state and we went up on top of this one mountain really neat lookout area and and everything and there's a particular area that you can go to and it's there's a stone wall there it's not super high but it's it's there to kind of protect people and you can go like stand right there and look off the mountain okay i don't even want to get within like 20 feet of the wall right uh but then there i'm seeing people stand on the wall sit on the wall and i like (laughs) i i uh, i had i had a hard time enjoying it as much as i should have because i was scared (laughs) for them (laughs) like don't the kids are up there you know and and so uh anyway 
Uh, some people just don't don't have that same fear in them. Thankfully, I, nobody I, fell. But I'm just grimacing even hearing you describe that. I didn't even have to see it. It's just, oh man, I just I don't understand how people are able to do those things. There's a there was actually a waterfall that we went and saw, and uh, it it had sort of some also uh, rails where you couldn't get to certain areas. And I thought, I wonder how many people have died here. And and then actually they had a thing when we walked out. They had a plaque saying these people died here. And that's why they put up those rails, and they'd have signs too saying "Don't go here or there," because you'll slip and fall. And there was—I forget how many people were on the the sign, but it must have been ten or fifteen or something like that. People that actually have just fallen in, and that's it. So yeah, you got to be careful when you're hiking around and things. Yeah, I'm so far to the other extreme. I, we have we have a lot of in common. We figure these out these <laughs> things out usually just on the radio, not yeah. not beforehand. But the other day I was on a balcony and I was carrying my daughter, but I had to like tiptoe as far away from the balcony as possible just because i kept thinking i was going to trip and drop yeah. her or something like that <laughs> yeah no that's that's uh it's not necessarily a bad thing as long as you don't get i guess paranoid about it <laughs> uh, a couple of headlines to check out today this is a really interesting one from bloomberg iran guards commander says ready to back palestinian forces so uh if you've paid attention to the trumpet.com over the years and the key of david program you know iran factors very heavily into what happen- is happening in the Middle East, or the king over there, and of course they're very anti-Israel, anti-West. Iranian Revolutionary Guards Commander Qasim uh, Soleimani says his nation is ready to support Palestinian forces in the Gaza Strip days after the U.S. recognized Jerusalem as Israel's capital. Soleimani, command, he's a commander of the Al-Quds Force, made the offer in a phone call late Monday with leaders of groups in Gaza, according to the Revolutionary Guard Corps' website. Didn't give details of what they would exactly do, but he said they are ready to back the Palestinian forces against Israel. And really, that would be against the U.S. too. So um, they're getting quite bold there in Iran. That should be proof that the Palestinians are the, well, they're not the good guys in that situation. If, if Iran is going to back them, but of course, the radical left in this country also thinks that Iran is our friend, as evidenced by that devastating nuclear deal that we agreed to with them. Uh Really, we just we have it so backwards now where we just think all of our enemies are our friends, all of our friends are our enemies, and we're just reversing decades, centuries of history to try to make that a reality. Yeah, whenever Iran's involved, you can pretty much guarantee whatever side they're on, you should be on the opposite <laughs> side. It's like it's like all they're trying to do everywhere around the world where they're where they're involved is just create instability and chaos and and hopefully even violence for them and they're talked about this king of the south they are talked about in bible prophecy as being very pushy having a pushy foreign policy and um this this is up uh, they're pushing you know what what's uh what's the u.s going to do about it you know i think i think it was iran also that told the u.s they should go home from iraq um and now they're saying they're going to back the palestinian forces of course, they're very much involved anyway. This is It's not like it's a new policy. It's just they're talking more openly about it, I guess. And uh, in, and even though there's a lot of squabbling within that region amongst those nations, most of them agree they don't like the U.S. and they don't like Israel. So even if they're not you know, best of buds necessarily, they have a common enemy. Yeah, they do. And that goes back thousands of years. And the Bible even records how that division started with Abraham having... A son with Hagar, who then had Ishmael, the father of the Arabs, and then uh, Abraham also having a son with his actual wife, Sarah, Isaac, who is 
uh, the father of the Israelite nations. You, you can just see how um, that division between those two women, Hagar and Sarah, has has continued to this day, where the descendants, thousands of years later, are still in a life and death struggle. It's a really good point uh, because we talk a lot about the importance of family and you can see throughout the course of history lots of national you know squabbles and wars it's because of families that didn't get along and they just got really large and then you've got two groups of people and and they're still battling today uh palestinians of course claim jerusalem's eastern sector where the mosque stands as the capital of a future state and they oppose the u.s move uh hamas has called for another uprising against israel in response though so far protests have been limited. So uh, a lot of tension there, and Iran throwing their hat in the ring publicly here. And it's it does kind of come across like a taunt, like, okay, well, what, what's anybody going to do about it? <laughs> and uh, they're used to dealing with the U.S., which hasn't done much. Talk a little tougher now, maybe hasn't done too much else, but they're not paying as much attention to Europe as they should be. And uh, there's a king of the north up there that's uh, not liking what the king of the south is doing. That's true. And and even though we have people in our uh, Western liberal democracies who are, for the most part, it seems like criticizing President Trump for even acknowledging Jerusalem as Israel's capital, what they should be more worried about is maybe the rise of Germany or maybe maybe understanding that you can't actually even continue a peace process if the Palestinians insist on having half of Jerusalem. It's actually the equivalent of national suicide for the Jews to do something like that because then you don't have any sort of buffer area or any sort of protective border between the two. I mean, if you're splitting a city in half, it's not too difficult to just launch attacks from one half of the city onto the other. Look at all the look at all the big cities in the world that have really um, sort of become melting pots for all kinds of different races. It hasn't resulted in good things, I, I suppose. I mean, <laughs> a person could say, well, you know, there's positive things like you can get different foods. <laughs> and then that, there's some truth to that or maybe some different things that are positive from various cultures. But but you have a lot of violence, too. I think of London and and the violence and the problems that they've had there. New York City, of course, has these this terror attacks that are either happening or they're almost happening. And so whenever they start mixing all the different people together, especially when they do not get along, uh, like you said, you're going to have a lot of problems. You're not going to have peace. It is pretty sad that the only thing we can really point to is the food that that actually is a nice part of multiculturalism. The rest of it, you can't really point to any uh, tangible areas of improved relations. You can't say that the peace in the area has actually increased. It's it's always a matter of different factions sticking amongst those who look the most like them or who believe the same things as them. They're not actually combining for a common goal. I mean, you see that you see that in Canada where there's certain schools where they speak a different language, even certain parts of the U.S. where Spanish is the main language at schools. Um, Australia and New Zealand with their native peoples sort of being like the equivalent of our Native Americans, they were technically over there first, and now they uh, have have some sort of enmity against the people who have since colonized those areas. Uh, it's just like that all over the world where you try to combine these very different cultures. There's not an example anywhere where that has actually worked. Yeah, and the Palestinians aren't wanting to take half of Jerusalem so that they can dwell peacefully. They want to take over the whole thing. And that just gives them that foothold that they need, mm-hmm. 
you know, there's no, there, there's there's no situation where a combatant group wants to come in and be, you know, we'll just take part of it. It's to take over. I mean, and if, and that's not like some, you know, uh, really in-depth uh, reporting there. They say that <laughs> all the time, and Iran certainly says it. And so, anyway, lots of uh, interesting issues going on there in uh, Israel. Uh, make sure you check out the Watch Jerusalem website where they they do look at uh, what's happening, and they are over there um, uh, right in that area so they can report directly on what's happening. And that was even on the, the Trumpet Hour Week in Review program on last Friday, uh, Brett Noctegall, who's over there, was able to report on what was happening. And as he said, it was you know, a little more low-key. Yeah, the the protests didn't really jump up like they thought, but, uh, you know, stay tuned, I guess. Yeah, it, and really the Palestinians are being pushed by their leaders who are truly just terrible leaders. They They are cruel. Like you mentioned before, they do use their own people as shields to protect their own terrorists. Uh, it's... I think a lot of those people actually would prefer to live under Israeli rule just because um, it's it's not as oppressive. It's it's it, obviously it's a much more free society on the in the Jewish controlled areas of the of the nation. Uh, there are people and, and Brent Noctegall was telling me about this who do have citizenship as Israelis. They're not just they're not just Palestinian card-carrying members they actually decided to get israeli citizenship because it gives them far more freedom it gives them far more employment opportunities uh but the thing is the leadership is so radical that there's just no way you could really reconcile the two sides right yeah really uh really a difficult situation over there especially the way that they're trying to go about (laughs) not just dealing with some of those problems forcefully (laughs) Uh, here's a he- headline that could be somewhat positive, although I don't know that they'll have success in this. President Trump uh, to send astronauts back to the moon and eventually to Mars. You can get your tickets, start training. <laughs> uh, President Trump said, that, according to CNN, that he wants to send astronauts uh, where no man has gone before. President Trump authorized the acting NASA administrator, Robert M. Lightfoot Jr., to lead an innovative space exploration program to send American astronauts back to the moon and eventually Mars during a White House signing ceremony. Uh, Vice President Pence, during the first meeting of the National Space Council in October, said the Trump administration will return American astronauts to the moon, not only to leave behind footprints and flags, but to build the foundation we need to send Americans to Mars and beyond. He said the moon will be a stepping stone. Or a stepping moon, I guess. <laughs> a training ground, a venue to strengthen our commercial and international partnerships as we refocus America's space program toward human space exploration. So you have to at least appreciate the uh, ambition there and, you know, to get out and do something and do it before the other nations do it, I guess. So um, it could be it could be a neat thing, but I don't know that they'll have success. That is quite a contrast from the last administration that did seem to downsize NASA or at least take priority away from a lot of the missions. Uh, Now it does seem like this current administration knows that NASA is an area of prestige. I mean, if America has the greatest space program in the world, that actually uh, does give them obviously good standing and respect among the rest of the nations, but also it's key to defense if you have, like, if you're able to set up the right types of space satellites and things like that. Uh, there are so many parts of um, space exploration that even just inspire the masses. People people gain a lot of inspiration uh, from seeing what is beyond the Earth. That's a natural thing. God created us to have that type of curiosity about what is beyond this planet. 
Yeah, there is a definite uh, different direction, at least in thinking from with this administration from the past one. Because as you mentioned, with the Obama administration, they did everything they could to almost get rid of NASA, downsize it, get rid of all the different missions. And uh, if you do want to be a power in the world, you do have to you do have to be on top of the whatever the developments are, which, you know, uh, space is obviously the uh, an area that that is important. Um, getting all the way to Mars or some of those other places. <laughs> I don't know about the, that, but uh, again, we have some really good write-ups at thetrumpet.com that do talk about the purpose of the universe, what it's there for, why God created it. He didn't create anything in vain, as he says. And uh, the fact that it will be inhabited, but it's not going to happen the way that man thinks. God's going to have to be much more involved in that. Speaking of space, did you see that story about that they thought they saw a spaceship out there? No, I didn't yeah, see that. You have to check it out. It looks like a big rock, but they wow. it kind of looks like, like what the movies would depict the spaceship to look like, so everyone's <laughs> excited now that they, they think they might have found a spaceship out there. Yeah, so it kind of, does it look like a rock, but it's sort of like yeah. the rock is camouflaged for what it actually is, like well, they show in the movies? It's kind yeah, I don't know. I mean, I saw the one photo of it. I'm assuming that's the correct one, um, and it, you know, it's like anything. You see, you, see, you can see a rock um, on the ground. But it looks like something else. It's in the shape of something. So it kind of, it you know, it did kind of look like <laughs> what what you've seen in these different movies. So anyway, people, people, mankind's fascinated with space and the idea of there being life beyond the Earth. And like you said, that's you know that that imagination and that that desire to uh, expand and explore. That's a good thing. But um, we get a little backwards about how, how we can't even solve the problems on Earth and we're trying to go out to Mars. So we're a little off on maybe the timing there. That's right. Space certainly does capture the imagination. And like that booklet, Our Awesome Universe Potential, even indicates in the title, the universe is part of our future. It is part of our destiny as human beings. So that that is a pretty exciting thing to look at. Obviously, we, we get caught up in the sci-fi aspects of it or maybe like a colony on Mars, which is not going to happen successfully. It's, it's too far away. It's uh, even if it, even if it did happen, it's a one way ticket for sure, just because it would take so long to get there. But um, that's just, that's not really the, the focus that we need to be having. It is, it is good to see us try to expand though. Oh, look at that. Yeah. You're showing me the, the, the picture the spaceship there. Yeah. You can, you can check it's on a lot of places. Online. Aerodynamic. It's, it's pretty flat there. Yeah. So anyway, you check it out online if you want to. You can just look for spaceship found or something like that. You Straight out of that. Star Wars. Yeah, <laughs> it does kind of <laughs> it does kind of look like something. I mean, but ultimately it looks like a giant rock. <laughs> but hey, so uh, anyway, it's kind of a interesting photo. They, uh, you know, I suppose they always if, if people that are involved in looking at what's coming back from space. I suppose that's kind of their fantasy, right? Mm-hmm. To think about the day you go there and they they think they found something. You know, <laughs> oh, what is this? So uh, anyway, America's hoping to get back up into space a little more with um, the moon and and Mars and so forth. We haven't had a lot of success though. You know, there's a, there's a lot of uh, lately. You know, for people that may train for those missions, uh, this could be pretty nerve wracking because there's been a few that have not gone so well, and ships have blown up and things like that. So, yeah, that's true. I mean, that it definitely takes a certain level of daring, like we were talking about earlier. Uh, just like it would to be a fireman right now in California, you have yeah. to you have to be fearless to do a job like that. And it's, and I'm sure most of us probably wouldn't even consider that as a career. It's pretty admirable that we do have people who are willing to do it, though. I I just wonder how. Uh, angry Barack Obama must be because 
this is just one in a long line of things that President Trump has done where it seems like the main goal is to dismantle everything that Barack Obama did. It, he's going through step by step, right. trying to change taxes, trying to change health care, trying to change our relations with certain countries compared to others, and now trying to change our focus on the space program. I mean, the, the list goes on and on and on, and maybe that's why Barack Obama has trouble being silent now that he's not the president anymore. It's very difficult for a nation to be successful if there are such radical swings every time a new administration comes in. You know, you, you could uh, obviously there's going to be some some change there, but uh, you know, if we're our allies and our our uh, enemies change every time a new president comes in, well, who can trust America? Mm-hmm. Because there's no no stability there. So uh, anyway, pretty interesting. Here's a quick note from the independent.co.uk. Uh, a couple of things that they looked at. They, they, tried, they studied people that lived a long, long time, and they tried to find out why that was the case, and they wanted to look at uh, just uh, what some traits that they had. Uh, they said the main themes that emerged from the study is, and, and appear to be the unique features associated with better mental health uh, is uh, the people were positive, they had a good work ethic, they had stubbornness <laughs> and a strong bond with family, religion, and the land. They were more rural-based as opposed to city dwellers. So those were the types of people that lived longer uh, and and were positive, had a good work ethic, and were a little bit on the stubborn side. All those traits do seem to get back to having some sort of a purpose for life, having a reason to get up in the morning, uh, being willing to stick with something for a long time like any stubborn person would be doing. If you have the right uh, pursuit, or at least relatively the right pursuit, it is, it is worth sticking with and, and doing for a long time, especially if you think that... Uh, family and your nation are a part of that and you are proud of those things it definitely does give motivation to achieve more yeah absolutely make sure you stop and check out the trumpet.com today top story is the most deadly climate change deception by trumpet editor-in-chief gerald flurry analysts and experts have dangerously misdiagnosed the cause of devastating weather disasters and uh, mentioned in this write-up and corresponding video are uh, a couple of scriptures Leviticus 26, 3 through 4, which says, If you walk in my statutes and keep my commandments and do them, then I will give you rain in due season, and the land shall yield her increase, and the trees of the field shall yield their fruit. But then conversely, if we break God's laws, it says down a little further in verses 19 and 20, that I will make your heaven as iron, your earth as brass, for your land shall not yield her increase, neither shall the trees of the land yield her fruits. So we don't hear those verses brought up very often or ever, when, <laughs> when climate change is being discussed. Climate change is in the news all the time. It's in the news even today very specifically. You know, they have these Paris climate uh, accords, I guess, and now they realize, oh, we don't have enough money. We need more money. So they're trying to raise more money for things, including uh, Bloomberg has a write-up saying that they want um, to tax meat now to help. Uh, 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 well, it's so funny. I, what what is money going to do for anything? I, I know maybe they'd say, well, we'll put it into certain programs, but it's like, can you buy off the weather? <laughs> you know, <laughs> we'll pay as long as we have enough money, we'll solve the problem. That's the thinking for a lot of things. I don't care if it's climate or education or anything. The idea that more money will solve your problem it just really hasn't worked out that way. People who are ridiculed as climate deniers mainly have the issue with the fact that so much money is going to all these projects that haven't even produced anything we, we talked about just how certain projects cost tens of millions or hundreds of millions of dollars and they might 
they might offset like one day of uh carbon dioxide production from a factory maybe like one day for one factory and yet it costs tens of millions of dollars is that really worth draining money taking money from taxpayers uh, hurting the economy by scaling back our industrial production obviously not i've seen ideas as absurd as blaming pets because pets eat too much dog food which is produced by mm. a dog food plant so you need to maybe get rid of pets people are talking about the threat of having too many children because then they obviously breathe which creates carbon dioxide which apparently is a deadly poison these days i mean it's just it's just um absurd the the level we go to try to say that these little these little things that we're doing are going to make an impact like we're just so powerful over the planet that we live on when really we're not. And it's just trying to skirt the penalty for sin. You can't buy that off. You can't pay enough to get out of the penalty. I mean, we see that. You see that in uh, health-related issues in the U.S. You know, well, maybe if we dump more money into it. Yeah, but if if you break certain health laws, you pay the price. I mean, that's just the way it goes. And, of course, nobody's perfect, and we all want to be, you know, God's very merciful and forgives and those things, which are really good. Obviously, we need that. But to not admit that, well, we got to maybe make some changes. We have to make some changes if we want to see the weather improve. Because there's no doubt there there is there is problems with the hurricanes and with all these other things. But what's the cause of it? It's convenient to say it's climate change because that means you don't really have to change your lifestyle. You can blame somebody else and say you need to stop spending all your carbon credits on wisely or however <laughs> that works but but it gets away from sin penalty for sin blessing for obedience and that's what's really brought out here that's the issue that is being ignored in the climate change discussion and this is just another one of these issues on the left that uh it's it's a way to feel good you know you feel good when you drop your glass bottles in the recycling bin instead of in the trash or you you feel good when you drive a hybrid car instead of a, a gas guzzler i guess but is it really making the type of earth shaking uh changes that they say it is uh pretty clearly it's not and like you read in those verses in leviticus the heavens going to be iron and the earth is going to be brass. That's because God is against us. Are we really going to change what God has done? Are we really going to be able to change uh, the iron clouds and somehow squeeze raindrops out of that, or you know, grow crops out of out of earth that is like brass? You you can't really do much when that is how your elements have changed because of God cursing us for our sins. Yeah, and it gets back to a, a truth too that the only real increase that exists is when you put a seed in the ground and a plant grows and it it gets back to food production. And if you want to talk about wealth, we have a lot of sort of made up wealth (laughs) today, but it really, you have to have food, you have to have those things and we can't, man can't do anything with that. You either have to have rain and due season or, or if you don't, you're going to have problems. I mean, they try to get around it as much as they can, but then we end up where we are today with foods that the nutrient value has been stripped. And yeah, it'll keep you full, but you're going to have diseases as well, and we see that too. So every time we try to skirt around the effects of sin, then more problems pop up, and the problem is just multiplying. So it doesn't matter. They could tax meat. They could tax, I don't know, what else you want to tax? Trees? (laughs) I I don't know. What difference is it going to make? Yeah, that's true. And and the the government already has 
done quite a bit of damage to the U.S. by getting involved in things like food production, where now there are so few farmers that they're all controlling such large swaths of, of land that they have to use some sort of pesticide or fertilizer, and, and they're dependent on government subsidies now. Uh, that's what government involvement does there. That's what happens when we get away from an agrarian-type society and we have to rely on a few farmers to feed the entire nation. It's a it's a pretty daunting problem to even think about uh, because a lot of these farmers are in pretty massive debt despite their vital job and their vital role in the country. Yeah, there's some pretty interesting documentaries out there that I think seem to be pretty factual and talk about just the food production and how that's become, you know, sort of a... Um, well, it's become a business uh, more than, which well, farming is a business, but it's become uh, run by corporations, like you said, like chemical companies, more than uh, than <laughs> actually counting on the rain and due season like we need. So uh, kind of scary when you look at all that's happening there, but they're trying to get hold of this climate stuff uh, or their idea about it anyway, And uh, but it's not working. Make sure you look at this uh, write-up at thetrumpet.com, the most deadly climate change deception. And then also there's a corresponding uh, Kia David program there as well. The uh, Trumpet Daily Radio Show is coming up here in a bit on KPCG with your host Stephen Flurry talking about a couple of things today. Uh, Post-American worlds coming into focus. Uh, Vladimir Putin visited uh, Syria. I guess it was yesterday or the day before. And, and uh, he, Mr. Stephen Flurry points out how President Obama said at the time, well, Putin will get hit, you know, Russia will get bogged down there in Syria. We don't want we don't want to get involved in military because you just get bogged down. <laughs> Putin shows up and it's like, oh, you know, waves a victory flag and everything seems a okay over there. Uh, and so, uh, it turns out Mr. Putin knew a little more about what he was doing than he was given credit for. And that's just more proof that, like the Bible says, America has a broken will. We just didn't want to get involved over there, but that doesn't mean that any nation that gets it gets involved is going to get stuck. We would have because we don't have the willpower to see it through to a satisfactory conclusion. Instead, we just turn the region over to Russia, which has the exact opposite goals. I mean, they might not like ISIS either. I don't think any nation does, but they're very supportive of Iran. They're, they're very supportive of the Assad regime in, in Syria. And that's the, that's the opposite of how the U S feels. Why would we just turn over the region to a rival power like that? You, you can't even think of a good reason why Barack Obama did that. That If he had America's best interest in mind, why would he make a decision like that? Well, and the world leaders that are pretty astute, including uh, Mr. Putin there, they see they see opportunities. ISIS is an opportunity. Are they terrified? Is, is the Russian Empire afraid of ISIS? Nah. But it's an opportunity to go into other nations under the guise of, well, we'll, we'll take care of ISIS. And we'll probably stay here <laughs> or control the regions in some ways and take those strategic lands. And so uh, it's interesting. But, you know, for some for these strong men like a Putin and others, they don't have to deal with the media. You know, they don't have to sit there and drop a bomb and then have the media take pictures of the aftermath and, and put all the, you know, the generals on court martial. They just let them do what you do in war, which mm-hmm. is not pleasant. But that's what happens when powerful nations go to battle they they do put an end to the other other group oh to be free of all these restrictions that we have when we can't even allow our soldiers to shoot first at someone who is shooting at them they have to wait to be shot at and then shoot that that alone would be crippling to morale much less threatening the lives of all those soldiers who what if your enemy 
hits you on their first shot before you can shoot them. I mean, we do have all these regulations, and it is just more symptoms of a broken will. When when that's how we try to regulate warfare, we're never going to win a war when other nations are not restricted like that. Right. That's why we get bogged down and they don't. Also, on the Trumpet Daily Radio Show today, uh, how much time do we spend with screens? It's a lot. <laughs> and uh, some great points are made there are just about, I mean, the technology that's out there today, uh, it, it's great and it can be used very positively, but also can just be such a, such a time waster. And uh, then do we have time left for other things in life? Uh, obviously, spiritual endeavors most importantly, but then even beyond that, you know, developing different skills, things that are beneficial uh, or are we just being sucked into this virtual world? Uh, something to consider. Yeah, and family time too. How many people lose just countless hours of family time every year because of the TV? I mean, ev- even if the whole family's watching it, no one's talking. No one's getting to know each other better or strengthening any bonds. They're just watching a screen. And Mr. Armstrong, uh, he had a dyna- dynamite quote there at the end of that radio program that you're talking about. And and he just he talked about how there can be some beneficial TV programs, and it, it can be a, a nice like way to relax once in a while. There can be a few benefits to it, but uh, are we going to just let that thing devour our lives? Let that that portal into the outside world just totally fill the home and then take us away from the most important things? And he and Mr. Armstrong even mentioned how God's work was being restricted a little bit just because of how so many coworkers and members were allowing the TV to crowd God out of their lives and take away their passion for the work. Yeah, and that was back back in the you know TV being a new technology days. Imagine today. Uh, <laughs> I, I remember they used to have statistics when I was growing up, you know, how many people had uh, more than one television in their house or some people had a TV in every room. Uh, but if you're just looking at screens, how many screens do we have today? You've got your probably multiple TVs, tablet, probably laptop, phone, probably a couple of phones at least um, in the family. Um, you know, uh, maybe in your car, even not that that's the same, I guess. <laughs> but it's still a screen if we're going to be technical. So, yeah, lots of things vying for our attention today. And, and it takes a lot of self-discipline to uh, <clears throat> not just uh, just have the time, you know, disappear on us even if it's not maybe you know like a horrible use of it in terms of you know we're not into a lot of depraved things it can still just eat up your time if you're not careful yeah it really can and it's especially tempting if maybe you get home at the end of a long day and you're a little bit tired you don't really feel like you want to actively engage your mind with conversation or you know reading a good book you can just passively pass the time by watching a screen that's that's an easy trap to fall into as well. I fell into that trap last night. I'll be honest with I've, you. I've done that before. I, <laughs> you can't do it all the time, but sometimes well, it's nice. Well, it's kind of funny. I was laughing even at myself for this because I, I uh, went and watched a basketball game, Thunder game. And then when I came home, right before I was going to bed, I I, I, I mean, I saw the game. I was there. I saw it. <laughs> but I still looked at, like, the synopsis of it. And then I was reading people's comments, like, what they thought about it. And I thought, well, how I saw it. Why do I care what, you know, some random person thinks? But for some reason, uh, and I just thought, wow, the screens pulled me back in. Even after an event that I saw in person, <laughs> right. I still went back to, like, look at what the cyber world thought of what I had just seen. Yeah, that, that happened to me recently. I, I read a recap of a game. 
and then I'm like, I can't click on the comments. That's just gonna <laughs> that's just gonna take away my whole day, and I'm yeah. gonna be irritated about what some <laughs> ignorant commenter said about the game, like they weren't even watching. So, yeah, that it's it is like a black hole. The internet, you could just you could just get sucked in there, and then you click from one thing to the next to the next, and then whatever you're reading might spark another thought then you can just search it in a millisecond on google and it just goes on and on and on it really does take a lot of active thinking uh, and diligence to avoid that yeah it's uh, something you can definitely fall into so trumpet daily radio show really great program today some good reminders on that please uh, check it out if you get a chance to one quick history note december the 12th today 1800 on this day washington dc was established as the capital of the united states so that was a big day I saw something recently where, like, the the richest uh, neighborhoods in America, they're all right around Washington, D.C. Yeah. Why is that? <laughs> Wait how a did, second. How did that happen? <laughs> yeah, that I've, I've seen that as well. Um, and most of them are on the left as well. Um, most of them are pretty detached from what it's like to be an everyday American. So how can we expect these very rich politicians to have the best interests of the rest of the country in mind yeah it's a it's a different world that uh that they do live in for sure uh i want to talk about a really uh interesting book here the uh history and prophecy of the middle east this of course when you look at the headlines today and you see what iran's doing and israel and of course america's involved there lots of nations involved in the middle east that's really the it's the powder keg of the world you know that's the that's the beginning of uh, all kinds of problems but ultimately uh, lots of solutions there as well. Uh, the next time you read about peace in the Middle East, which would <laughs> probably be every day, uh, consider the facts. For over 4,000 years, the Middle East has been fraught with cultural, political, and religious violence. Much of this history is recorded in the history book almost no one relies on, which is the Holy Bible. And what makes the Bible so unique compared to other historical accounts is that it recorded much of this history before it occurred in the first place. And so that's that's what gives it its credibility is that, uh, you know, part like, for example, uh, this prophecy that's talked about here, here, excuse me, Daniel 10 and 11. It was recorded nearly 400 years or it has recorded 400 years of Middle East conflict. And uh, but a lot of it has already happened and it was recorded before it happened. Some of it is yet to happen. So it's credible, <laughs> and, and we have to look at what's about to happen as well as the history. Yeah, that's a powerful prophecy, and and it is also pretty instructive to look back at the history of the region and how there were crusades. There were times when Jerusalem was uh, just totally wiped out, and and different empires have always been struggling to take control of Jerusalem, but it did also used to be true that the region was much more prosperous than it is now. But the longer that you live side by side with people that you can't stand, the more volatile the region gets when you start introducing terrorism as a method to uh, advance your religious ideology, things just keep getting worse and worse. And that is prophetically significant as well, because that's what leads to world war three starting. Yeah. There's, I'm, I'm assuming there's no place on earth that's seen more bloodshed than that. I mean, there's been in, in changing hands and who controls that, that area. And, uh, so when you're looking at this prophecy in Daniel, Daniel 10 through 11 there and a little further, even you have to look and, and, and again, think about the fact that when you go through the history and we're going to take a look at that throughout this week, uh, that a lot of it has happened already. So you can go look at the details in other history books, and it's exactly like what Daniel prophesied about. 
But then you have to stop and think about the fact that some of it hasn't happened yet. Daniel said some of it would happen at the uh, time of the end. And so that's the time right before Christ's return, the time we're living in today. So in this booklet, History and Prophecy of the Middle East, it covers both parts of Daniel's prophecy. Those things which already happened and those things which are yet to happen. And so it, that is the proof of the credibility because it was <laughs> the whole vision was prophesied. It's the longest vision in the Bible too. But the whole vision was prophesied before any of it happened and a large segment has happened already exactly and some is yet to come. So when you're looking for credibility in a forecast, uh, you couldn't have a more credibility than that. That's true, and yet there have been critics who have tried to discredit the entire book of Daniel, saying that it was written after the historical events took place. I would recommend the Watch Jerusalem program to listeners, because, and that's a, you can find that at thetrumpet.com, because they actually covered in detail how Daniel is a relevant historical document, but it also is extremely prophetic because it's historically accurate while also telling that history in advance. That's a, that's a pretty incredible accomplishment that a lot of people try to undermine because if they can say that Daniel is false, you can then discredit the entire Bible. It, it's, it's, uh, that's just the trend, isn't it? That you, you look at, um, all these critics, they try to pinpoint a contradiction here or maybe uh, some fraudulent recording of history there and and all of a sudden you can just get rid of the entire Bible and you don't have to obey it anymore. It's a really good point. How much time and effort is spent in trying to discredit or disprove God's word instead of putting that same effort into proving it, mm-hmm. proving it true. That's that that's uh, that's the, the way it is though. But uh, Daniel uh, 10 through t- 10, 10 through 12, uh, 4 is the longest single vision in the Bible. Uh, God revealed it to Daniel during the third year of the reign of Cyrus the Great. You can see that in Daniel 10 and verse 1. It was around 535 B.C. And uh, it's amazing when you stop and you read this, uh, this uh, prophecy there in Daniel 10, where uh, how it was revealed to Daniel, you know, the vision that Daniel saw. Something that uh, hardly anybody's ever had an experience like that, where he has this this uh, archangel come and, and uh, he sees him in this vision to the point where Daniel's pretty much dead because <laughs> uh, it just takes the life out of you to see something like this. And he, to, he had to actually be supernaturally strengthened to even say anything. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, we read that and it's so unusual for our life experience that it can seem like fantastic, but... But again, I mean, just read that and, and see how important that message was and how it had to come to Daniel in the first place. Um, it shows you how important it is. Yeah, didn't it take three weeks for the angel to actually come down from from the throne room with with that message for Daniel? I mean, that just shows you how strongly Satan opposes prophecy, revelation. He doesn't want us to understand the events that lead to the return of Jesus Christ. He can take away our vision that way by stopping the message. I mean, an archangel could come down here in a millisecond if he wanted to, and yet it took him three weeks fighting against Satan to actually make it. Yeah, it's fascinating. And if you read just all through Daniel, I mean, it reveals a lot about the spirit realm and battles that occur. How does that happen? I don't know, <laughs> but but there are these uh, battles that do occur there, and and again, that's a really important point to think about. I mean, if if Satan was going to resist this message so much, you know, so that uh, trying to stop it from being given, which he couldn't do ultimately, um, 
how much is it going to work to deceive today? How much is it going to work to cloud it, to discredit it? To I mean, you you even see that just in Jerusalem itself with the archaeology that happens there. The more that it proves the Bible, the more you find critics saying, no, it doesn't. And they're really, really working hard to discredit it. And it does get back to the simple fact, as unpopular as it is, Satan is the god of this world, as the Bible reveals. And he's trying to cloud the meaning of all these things. And, and you can see, like you said, how desperately he wanted to stop it from being given to Daniel in the first place. And, of course, he's, it's not like he stopped after that, trying to cloud it and confuse it. That's very true. And think think how, in any scenario, if you're trying so hard to cover something up, uh, what you're covering up is going to be true and accurate. That's why Satan is doing it. It's not that uh, it's some sort of fake message that has no meaning to it. He's trying to he's trying to cover up a message that tells of him being overthrown as the god of this world. He hates that idea. He doesn't want people to be uh, working toward that aim of overthrowing him. And so, of course, he's going to try to obscure the message. Otherwise, why wouldn't he just let the message come out and then people would be able to expose it as false? No one's ever been able to do that with the Bible. Try, though they might, the archaeology is abundant. It proves the history of the Bible true. Uh, if the history of the Bible is, is totally accurate, you can also know that uh, the prophecy will be accurate as well. Well, think about how much different world leaders would would form their policies if they had e- even some understanding and belief in what was revealed to Daniel here about the history and the prophecy of the Middle East. Um, what would people do differently? <laughs> how would they feel about Jerusalem? What would they do about it? Uh, it, would, it would change a lot of things, of course, but so... Uh, uh, they're blinded to it. They don't see it. But that doesn't mean that, that you have to be. It is uh, revealed. Uh, Daniel 10 and verse 1 uh, says the vision to Daniel was true, as you pointed out. It's, it was, <laughs> it's true. <laughs> but the time appointed was long, and the Moffat translates this better as the true revelation of a great conflict. So when you think about the Middle East and you think about this prophecy, this it's about violence, warfare, and bloodshed, and it all revolves around the Middle East. If you just just check your headlines, I mean, you could check them almost any day from the last, what, (laughs) 30, 40 years. If there's something involving the Middle East, it's typically not good news. (laughs) It's very rare that you'll have a very exciting, you know, headline from the Middle East in terms of like positive. Now, it's exciting in terms of fulfilling Bible prophecy, but it's usually a negative in, in general with war and conflict and such. Well, everyone uses that phrase powder keg when they're yeah. talking about the Middle East. If, if that's how your whole region is described, that's, that's not a good indication for them trying to achieve peace. And we've seen repeatedly in the news how that's not the goal of most of the people living in that region. They don't really want peace. Uh, the religion of Islam is not a religion of peace, despite what so many people say. You see that in the, the Arab-Jew conflict. If, if the Arabs would just stop for one second, if they would stop attacking, put their weapons down, it would all be over. You hear so much propaganda contradicting that, but if you just look at the fruits, you have to admit that there is one side that wants violence at all costs, and that's what they're getting. I don't may, maybe they could they could say it's a religion of peace once they destroy all their enemies. Right. And that'll never stop <laughs> right. because there's so many permutations of Islam where they they would turn on each other after that. I mean, you see that you see that in history all the time where if one one African tribe slaughters all the all the colonists or 
then they'll turn on another African tribe that's slightly different from them, even if they were just allied in the last war. That, that's how human beings tend to do it. We just divide ourselves into group and the, groups, and then we just start fighting. Right, because uh, Satan's a great divider, mm-hmm. and that's the, the, the power that, that really influences the world today. And so uh, looking at the Middle East today, you can see that it, it, it is violent. It, there's warfare, there's bloodshed, and that's what this prophecy is about, revolving around the Middle East. And uh, so, again, what's important to remember is that some of what Daniel was given has already happened, some has not. And so we're going to take a look at both of those parts as we go through this week. Uh, Daniel 10 and verse 14 says, Now I am come to make you understand what shall befall your people in the latter days, for yet the vision is for many days. And again, that's important there, because latter days means the time just prior to the return of Jesus Christ, which is right now. It'd be easy. And I think some critics do say, well, it's it's ancient history. <laughs> There's a lot of thought that the Old Testament is just sort of this ancient history. But very clearly here in Daniel 10 and verse 14, he says, I'm going to make you understand what's going to befall your people in the latter days. Uh, and these are those. Very true. And, and yet to, it's incredible just to consider how many different proofs there are that the Bible is the word of God. The fact that there are prophecies that have already been fulfilled and that the Bible has recorded, the fact that the history is true, the fact that the archaeology is true, uh, the fact that uh, the the Old Testament foretells Christ coming in the New Testament time. You have to look at all of those, and they have to all fit together perfectly. And again, it's 40 authors over the course of 1,600 years, and yet there's not a single contradiction. That's a real faith builder, and if we just take the time to think about how unlikely it would be for any book to match up the way that this one does, it's easy to see that God is behind that. Yeah, it's a really uh, important uh, prophecy to look at, and uh, we're going to look at it more throughout this week. Again, the booklet is History and Prophecy of the Middle East, and you can find that at the uh, trumpet.com. It's free, and uh, you can check that out now. You can read it or uh, even have it sent to you if you want to get a uh, physical copy uh, sent your way. But, uh, yeah, it, it is amazing to look at all those different um, uh, uh, historical accounts and, and the prophecy that follows on from it there in Daniel. And, uh, and again, it's, it's, it's something that you just don't hear about outside of uh, really the trumpet.com. You just don't hear about it anyplace else. There's so much confusion regarding the Middle East today. Um, so it's important to look at this because it gives insight into not only what's happened in the past, but where things are leading. And you could ask, I guess, uh, 20 different pundits and they'd have 20 different answers as to where they think things are going to end up. And that's the same thing, uh, among people who try to discern what the prophecies mean. You've, you've, you always hear a lot of very off the wall explanations for different prophecies in the Bible. And that just reinforces the fact that God has to reveal the prophecy. And that's why you only find it at the trumpet.com. It's not any man's discernment. It's coming straight from God. Only he can unlock it for our understanding. Yeah, and the Bible has to uh, unlock itself, reveal itself with the book of Revelation and Daniel tied together as well there. So anyway, we'll keep looking at that booklet throughout this week on history and the prophecy of the Middle East. Make sure you uh, check out the Key of David program that's coming up here in a bit. Also, the uh, Trumpet Daily Radio Show uh, as well coming your way. Uh, thanks for joining us today here on Trumpet Radio Live. For Grant Turgeon and myself, Lloyd Falk, have a great rest of your Tuesday. We'll talk to you again tomorrow.
listening to Trumpet Radio, 101.3 KPCG.